Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease. I'm here with my friend Richard Harris, and we are joined by Surf and Sales 3 alumnus and good friend of ours, Scott Barker. If you don't know Scott, he is the head of partnerships at Outreach and also owner of the best hair in the industry and the king of the Swiss turtleneck. Welcome to the show, Scott <laughs> Barker. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, my, my main goal right now is to bring the turtleneck back into sales, man. It's going to be a hard road, but Dude, I think I, I can do it. You're I, off I'll, good I'll support the mock turtleneck. I'll go for the mock turtleneck versus the turtleneck, but I'll, I'll support your efforts, dude. So. Okay, thank you. you. you I'm taking better. it from Steve Jobs. Yeah, you look better <laughs> in it than I do probably because you got cool hair. I like that you go for the white version, though, to blend in with the countryside in your Switzerland. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you a question. And then this yeah. is a relevant question to everybody who is in sales, especially those who have to travel so much. Your travel schedule is insane. Mm -hmm. And to, to me, you're all over the place from one part of the country to the next, different countries, overseas. You live in Vancouver. How do you keep up with everything that you're, you're, you need to keep up with? How do you keep up with your daily life and remember to pay your bills and things like that when you're traveling so much? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy. And when I come back, I basically have to shut off everything else and really, really focus. Um, anytime I'm in my office, like I'm right now, it, it honestly feels like I'm on easy mode because I have everything I need. And so I really, really buckle down when I am home. And then, you know, I, I honestly try and outsource as much as humanly possible, right? Like what does that mean? I get your grocery like get your groceries delivered and like anything that's not worth my time. Yeah. I try and get someone or pay someone to do it. Um, handle my finances, help me with taxes, this sort of thing. Like there's professionals that do that. I try and stay in my lane. I know what I'm really good at, how I make money and the rest someone else can. So can when you, for when, me. you, when you do plant yourself back at home, do you find that your pro productivity like spikes and goes through oh, yeah. the roof? Yeah. 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 Big time for sure. So what, what are, give everybody some of your top couple productivity hacks while you're traveling, you know, try, try, beyond the obvious, right? Like make sure you have yeah. a plan Wi-Fi and things like that. Right. Like yeah, yeah. How, how do you, how do you keep up a certain level of productivity if you're losing nine hours flying across the Atlantic and 13 hours back and all this kind of stuff? Well, the cool thing is a lot of times you can pay for Wi-Fi now um, on flights. It does suck, but usually you can get emails. You can also, you know, do things that you can do offline. So I create a lot of content. I write a lot. I can bang out 20 LinkedIn posts on a flight. Um, another hack I have, I'm a double monitor guy. You know, there's things like Duet is an app. You can use your, your iPad to have a double monitor. I think the newest iPods actually have that built in. That's really helpful for me. I can set up my, you know, battle station, if you will, um, in my hotel room. And then, so here's, here's a big thing. And I started doing this about probably only like a year ago. But I used to always have this weird habit, and I think a lot of people do, is, okay, I got an email. I see something I have to do, and then I'll write it on a to-do list. And then when I come back at the hotel room, I have like a 50 page to-do list that I have to go and then spend, you know, three hours until the wee hours of the night doing. Now, if I look at something and I can do it in less than, you know, five minutes, I just deal with it there. 
like then and there, I just, I just do it. And it's kind of reach, I've retrained my brain um, that it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, half baked is better than not done at all. And it'll be like a, a three sentence response. Yeah. And sometimes that's good enough to kind of get it to the next step, put the ball in their court and uh, yeah. activate I, the people. I, I do the same kind of thing. Anything that doesn't require serious thought and contemplation on, on my part, I try to reply and, and get it done. You know, right are, away. You, are you a zero inbox guy? No, you're not. No, I used to be. Um, that it, I, my, my email response times keep getting longer and longer and the world hasn't ended yet. So, um, it, I don't know if it's a best practice, but like if it's hyper important, someone will usually ping me again. And you know, there's of course certain relationships. I do carry a bag still. I'm still managing relationships. Certain ones are more important than, than others. Um, there are certain ones that I'll get back to right away, but no, I'm not an inbox zero guy. I think, uh, it, it got to a point where it was, it was more stressful than good to try and do that every day. I, I love hearing about people's patterns and habits and things like that. And you said that you might crank out 20 LinkedIn posts that may or may not be an exaggeration, but the point remains like, yeah. I'm just curious, do you, do you really operate like that? I'm wondering if you do too, Richard, like I, I don't operate that way. I don't have like a bank or a library of, of posts and maybe that's a defect of mine in, in the way that I, that I, the way that I operate. Um, but you really, do you really do that, Scott? You have that like banked? Uh, some, sometimes. So actually I usually, I get up at six and usually I will have my coffee, go in the shower and that's when I'll think of a LinkedIn post. That's usually what happens. What I'm, I more mean is sometimes I will have banks of LinkedIn posts creative writing, getting thoughts down, just a Google doc of like brain dumping of my ideas on, on sales and marketing is, is definitely something I do. And I'm a big, big believer in like working in sprints. Like yeah. I think we're all supposed to like operate how like lions do where they're, they're chilling for, you know, 60 per, or like 80% of the time. And then when they're going out and hunting, they're exerting like just a ridiculous amount and they're going and they're hunting and they're like, I'll have days that I feel like I accomplish as much as people accomplish in like a month in a day. Cause I'll just be, everything will be flowing and I just won't stop. So like I got to remind myself to eat. I got to, and I'll just like, I'll just go. And I think you got to harness those kind of creative, high energy moments. And yeah, that's, how do you build up? How do you build up the stamina to sustain? Like, let's say you do that. I think I, ha I have a question, Scott, because I know the answer. This is it. Scott, yeah. Just, just remind everybody. How many kids do you have? Yeah, it's totally zero. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's why I, I'm on cheat mode. I say this all the time. It's not lost on me. Uh, I have zero kids. I, uh, you know, yeah, I know. But, but, but how, baby, and, how, I, and I'm and I'm taking full advantage of it. How do you build the stamina for that though? Because I, I think a lot of people and myself included, I can relate to that. There's certainly days where I'm like, holy crap, dude, I just got so much done. Like I feel like Rambo right now. Like I'm un, un, unstoppable. Right. Um, but then there's other days where I feel like the last couple of days really took it out of me. Right. Yeah. And I, I wonder 
is there a way for people, yourself included, to build up stamina to sustain more of those kind of full sprint kind of days? So rather than one a week, maybe there's two and then there's three. Mm -hmm. Is that possible? Do you believe in that? I do. I do. And like that, that analogy I used of the lion, like think of how much time they, they, they take in self-care where they're just sleeping and they're chilling on, in the savannah. Like I have, for the amount of stuff that I get done and the things that are doing, I, I take a lot of time to like go to nice restaurants with my girlfriend and every Friday and Saturday night I'm hosting friends. And that, that's the stuff that, that fills my cup up. Um, and like, I don't sacrifice that stuff. I don't sacrifice my time in the gym for anything. I don't sacrifice my time, you know, reading a book for anything. I don't sacrifice my family and friend time for anything that comes first. And that by doing that, that gives me the energy and my cup is full to do all the other stuff. That's Traveling. Really I travel all the time for also for pleasure, right? Like I just, yeah. but you're, after you're sales, go backpack by myself. Yeah. And like, that's important. Let, let's back up a little bit. Um, you know, where'd you grow up a little bit? You know, were you, you know, were you a sales minded kid, you know, with the, with the lemonade stand or washing cars or, you know, you know, where did it start to start to come for you? Yeah, I was, uh, so I grew up in North Vancouver, middle-class family. My dad was a banker, not an investment banker. He's like a branch manager. Uh, didn't want for anything, but you know, we weren't, we weren't a rich family. And I, I grew up playing like <clears throat> two, three hours of sports every day. Played rugby, played football, played soccer. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm <clears throat> got something in my throat. Um, played a lot of competitive sports. Uh, played rugby at a super high level. Played soccer at a really high level. And that was, uh, I think, a lot of where my confidence came from. I was always like the captain of the team. So I learned a lot of leadership skills there. I uh, was a fairly good student growing up. Uh, school wasn't overly difficult for me. I was a good, you know, at writing. And I think a lot of school, at least high school success, is just how good you are at, like, writing and reading and comprehension. So um, I always thought I was going to be a lawyer. My parents thought I was going to be a lawyer. I like to debate things. I like to see the different sides of an argument. Even if I didn't agree with the other side of the argument, I would just argue it because I thought it was interesting to explore other viewpoints and other people's ways of looking at the world do you do you currently uh, do you currently have a favorite kind of counter argument or controversial uh point that you seem to disagree with people on and like to like to kind of spar with uh i think it's very it, it's dependent upon what we're talking about but i can get into some what about some sales wise business wise not like you know politics or anything like that yeah, we're we're not going we're not going there. Um I think something controversial is like uh a lot of people we, we talk so much, especially on LinkedIn and this podcast, and I do it myself. There's all these tips, tricks, and hacks and all these things for sales and becoming a better salesperson, sales leader. And I truly believe that we should be paying as much time as salespeople in the markets that we go into and the products that we sell because I know some really terrible salespeople that are in the right market that are selling the right things that can have tremendous, tremendous success. And all of the hacks, tricks, tips in the world you could apply and you can master if you're in the wrong market and the wrong service or sale or service or 
let's let's talk about that. How do you how do you advise people to best go about finding the right market and the best therefore product to to sell? Mm -hmm. So special, how does somebody find this perfect synergy? Yeah. So you have to lead on you have to lean on mentors and leaders until you yourself have enough knowledge to make the decision. So for me, you know, early on in my career when I didn't know then I leaned on a lot of people that were smarter than me to make those decisions for me. And the other way you can do it, lean on them first and then specialize, right? Specializing is really, really important. For me now, I spent so much time in sales tech and MarTech that I know the industry so well. So if I were to make a move, like I immediately know if it's a good market, if the product or service is gonna stick. So pick your lane and stay in your lane. Like if you're in healthcare, stay in healthcare because the the gains that you're going to make by staying longer, you're going to understand the industry better versus jumping because you get sold a dream. Um, so yeah, those would be my two things. Lean on mentors and leaders until you can specialize enough and have enough knowledge to make your own decision. And, and, how, and how, how do you advise people to go find a mentor? I've talked with this about with a number of people, Kevin Dorsey, who, who you know, for example. Um, I just did a webinar with them right before this. <laughs> how do you how do you advise people to go find a, a mentor is it is it really as simple as just ask mm. so find people who have a vested interest in your success right like that they benefit by you getting better at your craft right so like your VP of sales maybe he's not your direct report you got a sales manager but your VP of sales or your CRO by you getting better that that benefits them so my first mentors were always leaders that I worked for and by them giving me their information, they were also helping themselves hit their, their number. My favorite question in the world was, Hey man, I want to be you in five, 10, 15 years. Can you help me get there? And most people will, if they have a vested interest in your success, people, you know, people ask me all the time, Hey man, can like, I don't have enough time to mentor 10,000 people, but if, you know, there's a lot of different ways of vested interest. Like if you're, you have a friendship or there's a monetary gain, or there's all these different things that you can look at that by them investing their time, they're getting something out of it too. Has it always been easy for you in getting these things done? <laughs> like where, where, where Scott struggled, right? I know, I know where Scott Lisa struggled. Where Scott Barker struggled. <laughs> Uh, that's a big question. Uh, there's, uh, I don't know, lots, but like perfectionism, like never thinking it's enough. Uh, like if I wake up at five 30, like why the fuck didn't I get up at five? Um, you're getting better at, you're getting better at though, at that though. Right. You're, you're now, you're now yeah. espousing, Hey, you know, half baked is better than not done at all. Right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, and it's more, I think it's more, it's not so much perfectionism in tasks. It's more like perfectionism. In, I hold my help myself to a very high standard of what I, what Where'd I, that come uh, from? So, did, did your, did your parents put pressure on you to do that stuff? Um, I think a lot of it was, I don't know, man, this gets deep, but um, I think when you have a certain amount of success, um, you know, I was like, uh, school came pretty easy to me. I was captain of my sports teams. When you have a certain level of success early, uh, success becomes expected. 
from all the people around you and from yourself. So when you're not getting success, uh, something seems wrong. Uh, and when you're not, things aren't going that way. And I think honestly, it comes down to like chemicals in your brain. You know, you so many good chemicals fire that now your normal becomes dependent on things going really, really well. Have things so, ever gone? So, which is good, right? Like you, you definitely have to push yourself to go good, right? Um, yeah. And I think you know, I, I think both of you, as, as hardcore athletes, that's just sort of innate in you, right? I was, I was the teammate athlete. I was never great. Probably, you know, you know, I was always happy, you know, batting seventh, seventh or eighth in the in the lineup, right? I never needed to be one, two, three, or four. Never needed to be the captain. Just want to be a good teammate. Um, but you talk about success. What were some of your biggest failures? Where where did you? Because at some point, yeah, it can start to come easy, and you do sort of, um, you know, make your predictions in life come true. But at some point, there's got to be a pushback or a setback. What well, what were the setbacks maybe you've ever had? Uh, there's many. Like you know, even five years ago, I was sleeping on a friend's couch. Uh, you know, I struggled with. I guess alcohol and drugs in the early twenties, as a lot of people do, as you're trying to figure that, figure that side of life out. And you know, I was uh, got fired from a bartending job for partying too much. I had to walk away from a pretty healthy salary as a sales manager in B2C to try and get into tech, and I had to, to basically get rid of my apartment, sleep on my buddy's couch, um, and take a BDR salary of $32,000 a year. That was only five years ago. Couldn't pay my bills. Um, that was sobering. I got kicked out of my house when I was 19. Um, well, hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Was, Stop right there. What did you do at 19 to get kicked out of your house? Because here you are. You're the star athlete in high school. You're the captain of the team. Like, mm-hmm. what? What? where was the fuck up? And you don't have to give the details uh, of what you did. Yeah, I'm not yeah. asking for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, partying too hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I basically, for those of you who don't know my story, so straight out of high school, I got a job selling door to door golf and spa packages. Uh, it was a ridiculously hard job. Um, and I became very successful. You know, I basically fell to like a, one of those scams on Craigslist being like, you can make $500 a day, you know, working four hours a day. And it was complete bullshit. Most people made like 20 bucks a day. I was like the one guy who was stupid enough to believe that, that I actually started doing that and found a way to do it. So I had a lot of success. They flew me down to Australia to help open up an office and train people at 18 years old. Um, You can imagine what that does to someone's ego when they're 18 and they get flown down and all their expenses paid for. And you're now training people who are 25, 30. Uh, You think life's going pretty good. You think you're pretty cool. And with that came a lifestyle of, you know, partying and having too much fun on weekends and overindulging in substances. And so when I came back home after six months of doing that, I came back to live with my parents and didn't leave any of that stuff behind. So kept doing it, partying, you know, four nights a week, going out too late, doing all the things that comes with that. And so I got, I, I wouldn't say kicked out politely asked to leave we'll call it <laughs> right either change your lifestyle or you, you know you live on our house yeah. our rules my parents are awesome and yeah they would never you know leave me to be on the streets but it, it wasn't working something had to get right so where did you what was sort of again you know what was what was sort of rock bottom what was the 
hey, okay, this, I got to change. Like, I got to stop doing all this stuff that's unhealthy. Rock bottom was getting kicked out of my house. I went and got my own apartment. The only reason I could really afford that, I wasn't working at the the door-to-door place anymore. The only reason I could afford that is because when I was young, I was uh, an actor. I did a bunch of commercials. Uh, I did about, you know, 15 commercials for Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Hot Wheels, Ring Pop, all these funny 90s brands. Oh, my God. I got to go find those. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. I'll send you you one. The only one I've been able to find is Cinnamon Toast Crunch. But um, you make a lot of money. Uh, you know, sometimes they, they pay you out, you know, three to five grand or they'll pay you residuals. Right. And one of them, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, they paid me residuals and I was getting checks, you know, every month and it added up to like, probably in the end, like $30,000 from one. Mm-hmm. And I was a little shithead. And I basically like threatened to sue my dad if he didn't give me the money. And he was like, you're going to blow it all in six months. I promise you like, dad, no, I'm not, I'm not an idiot. It's like, I promise you, you will like dad. I'm an adult now. I'm, I'm the ripe age of 19. Um, give me the money. And obviously it caused a big riff. I got the money and it blew it in six months, right. a lot of money, uh, doing the same thing, partying too hard, um, paying for all my friends, just thinking I was the man, uh, paying for everyone's stuff doing all this ridiculous things, all these new friends come that aren't friends. And when that, when that ran out six months later, um, I still, I had all these habits, you know, I had all these, I I wanted to eat at the fanciest restaurants. I wanted to pick up the bill for a group of 10. I wanted to do all these things and I couldn't anymore. Uh, And I went and I took a job bartending where I was making, you know, shit money. And then I got fired from that, from partying too hard. So that was rock bottom, man. That was, that was when, okay, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should sort some things out. So, so let's, so let's get back on the redemption road, the road to redemption, right? So, um, and you've done, and this is, this is all what, six or seven years ago. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 20, I'm 27 now. Yeah. Jeez, you're 27. God damn. Um, so that's a so and you've come a super long way right so what was your sort of first job or your first attempt at sort of straightening this out like where you were like okay i I, this this is not working i'm an idiot you know um where did that even start like what what was the first job from there i got super lucky through that bartending gig i had someone that sat at my bar all the time who was a sales manager and it was in the travel industry and he heard my story about living in Australia and stuff. And you know, there's certain things in life that you're like, how did this fall into my lap? I don't know. Uh, but it, they basically sold uh, packages to young people wanting to live and work in London or Australia. So they'd set you up with job interviews. They'd set you up with your first, you know, two weeks of accommodation. And when he heard my story, he, he told me what he did. And he was like, do you want to come and, um, sell at this job. It was called Global Work and Travel Co. And I went there. It was like my first real inside sales job. I uh, learned the power and impact of uh, sharing stories. Like I could tell my personal story of like surfing on the beach, you know, in Sydney. I could tell them the bar's names. I could like really, really, really paint a detailed picture. 
So again, I like I became the number one rep almost overnight. Uh, they gave me a team lead position from there. Uh, this is boiler room, man. Like looking back, this is the this was make a, a five thousand dollar sale every day and get their credit card on the phone on like an hour hour call with them. Scott, I didn't know any different. I thought that was normal. I worked for Scott <laughs> in, a, in a situation like that. Long time ago. Long time, long time ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I didn't know any better. I thought that's what sales was. Um, and you make a hundred phone calls and you get some people on the phone and you, you close the deal. So, um, yeah, it's crazy how much money I was making this company now that I think about it. And, and I think I made like, uh, can I remember? I think it was like a hundred bucks every time I made uh, a sale, which is nothing. Um, so I did that, became a team lead, became a manager. I stayed there for, I can't believe I stayed there, almost like two and a half years. Uh, became the GM of the whole office. Like I was running all of Canada. There was 14 people. I was doing like P&L, everything. I had no idea what I was doing. This I'm like 22. We didn't have a CRM. It was like all managed through Outlook. And, you know, at, at that time, I thought being a good sales leader was just like motivating people. I would like do big rah-rah speeches every morning. And that's basically what I thought it was. And being but a therapist. That's, that's, the, that's the athlete in you. That, that's the yeah. captain in you. When you don't have any sales leadership or, or never even mind sales, you don't have any real like business acumen or business leadership, you fall back on what you know. And what you know is, well, I know how to rally a team. I know how, how to rally a team of, of athletes through rah-rah, through passion, through, you know, fire and brimstone, whatever you want to call it, right? And so yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. That resonates with me. That's what I did when I first got started. I, I'm literally sitting here going, I've seen Scott do, be that person. I totally get yeah. it. Um, well, there's two, there's two Scots here. He's like my little brother, right? <laughs> We've, I'll take much, it, much, much younger done, little brother. We've done the same. We've done the same thing. We've even made some of the same mistakes. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what? What so, are the? What are the things now? Changing gears on you here. What are the things yeah. now that you find yourself most concerned about with regards to the state of the sales industry? Not most excited about. Most concerned about. I think there is, so with the democratization of knowledge, meaning knowledge is everywhere now, I think it would be very difficult if I was starting out right now to know who knows what they're talking about and who's completely full of shit. Um, so how, so how, do, how do you propose somebody new to industry flushes that out, right? Does this, this, this topic, this debate, if you will, the commentary, it exists out there on, uh, yeah. on all this kind of social channels and, and whatnot, right? It's like, how do you know Scott Lee's is not full of shit? How do you know Scott Barker is not full of shit? How do you know Richard's yeah. advice actually works? So how, how, do you, yeah. how do you advise somebody who's new to industry to suss that out and determine who to pay attention to and who not to pay attention to? Yeah. A few ways. Number one, look at past experience. That's, that's a good indicator. It's not a great, you know, people have potential above and beyond just their past experiences, but past experience is an easy way. Back channeling people, like just like lightly bringing people up when you're around people you yeah. respect and see, see what their views are. Um, and 
man, one of the best ways is, is this, what we're doing right now. So just so everyone knows, there was no uh, pre-planning done in this. There's no, uh, you can't Google the answers here. Uh, if you can jump on a phone call with someone, unscripted, and ask them some questions, uh, you know, if you've been walking this earth for a little while, you can find out who's full of shit. Yeah, I mean, there's never, there's never been an easier time to back channel when you think about it. Totally. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, somebody asked me today on LinkedIn, um, you know, is it still reasonable for a company to ask you for, for your W-2? I, I suppose to sort of prove you are who you said you were. And I sort of deviated from answering the question a little bit, but I was like, it's, it's kind of a stupid question because, you know, it doesn't take me very long to back channel and figure out does this guy Barker actually sell very well. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, <clears throat> it's almost like, yeah, it's really the, you know, who says it? I think it's Keenan says that it. it's like the, it's the show me economy now, right? Like I don't give a shit what you say, show me that you do what you say. Right? Like I, I still close multi-million dollars a year and you can go ask everyone. That's what I do. Right. All this other stuff is just for fun because I like to be busy and I like to do things right. Like you, you can ask around and you can, is you there, can find out. Is there, is there a way for LinkedIn to evolve or, or for a competitor to come into the space and push it to the next level where somehow, and I don't know the answer to this, but where somehow, um, you know, advice that is given is, is proven to have worked somehow or, or tested. And then like data comes back and says, Oh, I read these five sales tips from Richard. I implemented it and I actually did get results. Is there some, is there, mm -hmm. is there a, a way for people to end up being verified, so to speak, that their, uh, you know, advice and information is maybe at a little bit higher level than, than other people. You see yeah. that as a, it's a great topic. Isn't that a little I, bit unfortunately bravado? like the what, sorry, Richard? Like bravado? Isn't that a little bit like bravado or Glassdoor or a little bit. So here's here's the here's here's my answer. I don't think you can on a mass scale. I think what we are seeing is the rise of subcommunities. Subcommunities do this really well. They're self-policing, right? I look at things like the revenue collective. There's a lot, it's a, it's a, high, it's a, a high bar to get into some of these sub-communities. Um, and it's self-policing in the sense that everyone that's a part of that community or most people that are part of that community know what they're talking about. So if you put advice that is, uh, that has a bunch of holes in it, the community is going to jump on you and, and it's going to self-police itself. So I think you can in some of these these more niche areas, you got to find your people and find your tribe. And then I think it's self police So does that mean that, and I, I believe this to be true and I've had this conversation with numerous people. Um, does that mean the content wars are coming? Are we going to get to a place where, as you called it, it becomes self-policing and people will start to call bullshit. They call out, you know, other people like, you know, mm -hmm. are we going to get to a place where you or I post something and the other one of us is like, bullshit that strategy doesn't work it makes no sense blah, scott blah, blah. don't you do this already i think you called bullshit on my last post i did a little I didn't call bullshit i just <laughs> i just slightly disagreed yeah yeah no i i think i think healthy debate is the best part of social channels right like the i think like i love seeing a new perspective like i said it goes back to me thinking i was going to be a lawyer like the 
most exciting thing is to get a new set of eyeballs to the world, right? Like that's what I fucking love is like, you know, like, okay, I only see the world through Scott's eyes and I do everything in my power. I read as many books, I interact with as many people to try and broaden that horizon, but there will always just be my eyes. So when someone has a well thought out, a well-educated argument on something, that's fucking amazing. Cause then I get to truly live through someone else's brain. That's to me, that's the coolest thing in the world. This goes back to your lawyer debate, liking to take the other side kind of thing, right? That comes back yeah. to you. So Yeah, I think I think where we don't want to go is like I think it's weird that you can like delete comments and stuff. And you can kind of curate this version of an argument. I think that's muddy muddy waters to get into i hate it when it, people do that i it, like it, it, it does get tricky I'll, I'll admit to deleting people i I delete people who are obnoxious or rude yeah or if you're racist you're sexist or, whatever, or like, you're just vulgar yeah, yeah get away but so that's a trick it's tricky because you i mean i would think that you want to give people the ability to filter and delete some of that stuff out that is hateful or but on, the, but on the other hand if someone comes in and is that rude vulgar and whatever I kind of like to let it sit there so that they well, look you're, you're, they you're, are. You, are, you are different than me. That, yeah. that, I, I, yeah. I don't like that, that stuff. So I yeah. got but, but again, it's, it's kind of like, Hey, if you're going to go be vulgar, racist, sexist, let everyone see that again, right. it's self self policing, right? Like right. if we're back in Darwin will the take Savannah them. and we're exactly, and we're in a tribe and you keep being the vulgar shitty one. Well, the tribe's going to deal with you eventually right. and you're going to get out. Mom and dad are going to kick you out. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah, that's a fair point. So, so what do you, what do you see as, um, at this stage, the mistakes that are happening in sales and marketing? And you bring this really unique perspective because you do, you have a little bit of a marketing background as much as you do sales. Um, or, at least, or at least I believe that because you've positioned it so well and I haven't called bullshit on you. Um, <laughs> where do you see that? You don't that? think I'm a marketer? What's that? I'd say I spend ninety percent of my time on marketing activities. And I, 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 think, those, I, that think more, I think more and more salespeople are spending a larger percentage of their time on marketing activities. Yep. So what? Yeah. So where do you think that's the headed? The line's bullshit anyway. I think any effective seller and any effective marketer has always known what the other side is doing, and it just helps you do your own role better. Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. What, um, what are the things that, you, that outside of here, like you talked about your friends, you talk about surfing. How often do you surf up in Canada? I go to Tofino like once or twice a year. Okay. Not often. Got yeah. it. But I'll try and make it a focal point when I go somewhere, somewhere nice. Gives me something to do. I'm not good at surfing, but it gives me something to do. That's not true. We've seen you surf. We've seen you surf. <laughs> what did you, like, we, and we don't get a lot of people, we've had a couple people who've been to surf and sales. Um, what was something that you got out of surf and sales that wasn't sort of, I wouldn't say advertised, but what, what was like, Oh my God, this is, I kind of knew it was going to be fun. I kind of knew it was going to be cool, but you know, I was not expecting this. Uh, I think I have a lot. Uh, one is like lifelong true friends, which is, you know, pretty cool. Um, definitely the coolest, like, you know, both of, both of you like consider, you know, lifelong friends now, which is really cool other people like that I met down pretty much everyone I've stayed in touch with uh, things that I didn't expect. I didn't expect uh, a trip to Switzerland to come out of it, uh, to go hang out in 
place called Fischer Alp in the Swiss Alps in a chalet for a week with my girlfriend. Uh, that was directly attributed to uh, Surf and Sail. That's, that's ROI, baby. <laughs> that, that is, that's, that's ROI, Swiss, man. That's Swiss and Sail. Yeah. yeah. And, like, here's, here's another thing that's super cool. So um, a gentleman by the name of Phil um, joined us down at Surf and Sales. And Phil at the time... Uh, he's a, it was a BDR at air call. He was the number one BDR and he really wanted to be an AE and he wasn't yeah. given the opportunity and everyone at surf and sales kind of rallied behind this guy. Cause he's uh, an incredible guy and has incredible character and basically told him that it gave him the confidence to really like go to his team and be like, listen, like I'm the man and I should get this role. And we, Many people coached him. I coached him, yeah. got on a ton of calls with him. I know a lot of other people did. And just this past year, like directly from that, he's become an AE. I got to have him on my podcast, the Sales Engagement Podcast. And it was one of, it, the episode blew up. He's like, he just called me yesterday. He's like, dude, I'm getting like consulting offers, like all this stuff. He's like a young kid uh, from New York, like first generation Russian immigrant family. Um, and that's so cool to see again, like going back to the tribe thing, a tribe come together in a short period of time and lift someone up who deserves every advantage they could possibly get. I think that was really cool. Is that, is, is there a way to have that same impact at larger events or is it just the nature of the, the micro conference event that we, that we hosted? to be able to pull something like that off? Or are there, are there just two different goals, right? Mm-hmm. That maybe is really the focus and the goal of the micro event like Surf and Sales. And, and maybe people are looking, have been looking for that kind of thing in the wrong place. Maybe they've looked for it at the Dreamforces and all this kind of stuff and maybe they should be looking for something different. Or is it possible? Are there, are there learnings from the micro conference that could be applied to the macro conference to get a similar kind of result and experience i think it's almost like uh uh going to like a funnel a little bit like the big conferences you get to meet a lot of people and you know i bump into richard harris at a conference we have a quick exchange and i'm like shit richard's like good people we don't go deep but i i meet hundreds of people and some i'm like oh you know cool guy but didn't didn't vibe you know and it's kind of like you get to identify your people they're not your people yet but you kind of identify your people you start building a little relationship and then you get pushed down to these things like these sub communities like surf and sales like all these things and then you get to create the, the real bond could you do it at a larger scale conference maybe maybe you break people up into to groups that <laughs> i don't know i have to band together the whole time then you're, crea- then you're creating smaller mini conferences within a conference but, but that's what's yeah. happening right like so you know uh sales hackers done that right when it's dream sales hacker creates some peripheral events yeah. right um yeah. uh pete's group you know modern sales pros has done the same thing his group's just so freaking big now um but it's yeah. still a microcosm of this bigger event where you know, if you're in, you know, modern sales pros or, or revenue collective, if there's an event for those people, you do want to go there because you want to meet these people you've exchanged ideas with. Right. So mm-hmm. I've, I've been seeing that happen for a long time. Um, and it's smart because you do it at a bigger event where you can attract newer and more people. But it's also nice when it's a completely separate event. Right. When it's totally different, mm-hmm. it's isolated. And then 
that community, right? Like, like, you know, you know, Scott, you're part of the surf and sales community. You know, we have these, I, I should have, we should have one to show Scott lease, but you know, the surf combs we got, you know, there's only like 40 people who've got one of these little branded things from us, which is kind of cool. Um, so, so I, I think it's looking for mine somewhere. Yeah. I also going back to the sports thing, cause it's always, you know, back in there, it's programmed like competition brings people together. So if you can create some sort of competition at these bigger things, I think competition really bands people together when they have to be on a team. I, I, go, for, or work I, go, further, I go further to say the opposite. I'm going to say competition can bring people together, but at some point at these big conferences, it's one big competition, right? And that's kind of a growth, right. but vulnerability yeah. together, right? Like, you know, I remember, you know, we've all, particularly at our conference, you know, we all get up and share stories. We talk about who we are, where we come from. We share our successes, but we also talk about our struggles so that we know that we're not alone. And it's that vulnerability that I think um, builds that village that you're talking about, right? Um, more yeah. so than the competition. Maybe, yeah. So. Yeah, maybe it's not competition, maybe it's cooperation. Yeah. So it's cooperating together as part of a team competing against some other team, other force so, um, I, I, has always been. I got, I got another question and I, and I only ask this because you know it's a little bit out of jealousy, right? Hair care products, how many do you actually use? How many do you have? <laughs> one, man, one. One? It's a, a one. It's a Dutch, where is it? Let me go, to, uh, uh, hold that thought. <laughs> he, ha he has it just like right there. I have, a ba I have a bathroom over there, man. There you go. Get yourself some of this. Yeah. That's the good stuff. R-E-U-D-E-L. Wow. Oh my yeah. God, that's hilarious. You heard it here first. That looks I'm like- Sign it. Sign an influencer deal with them. No, yeah, that's right. <laughs> they just got free advertising. No, no. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to be in charge of partnerships, Parker? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What, uh, what, 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 is, what is there that we can help you with these days, man? You know, we're, all, we're always trying to, to help our tribe, our community. You know, not that you need our help necessarily. Um, but is there anything that comes to mind that that we could help you with and kind of try to help guide you and steer you a little bit as you grow and grow and grow into a, you know, wherever you're headed next? Uh, the only, so here's, I'll just talk what's on my mind lately. And I don't know if it's a help. I think it's just all of us as a, as leaders in this industry and SaaS and sales, whatever it is. Um, I think we always need to find ways to bring in uh, more impact, like social impact, environmental impact. Like we all have a voice now and we do a really, I think you guys specifically do a really good job of bringing young people up. And that's kind of what, how you guys are, are giving back to the world is like bringing other people up and giving them opportunity. Um, and I think we all owe it to the landscape that we're in now to look outside of our immediate circles and help people in all, from all walks of life, uh, diversity, as well as take care of this world that we're on. <laughs> Lots of crazy shit going on right now. So finding ways, and I think about it a lot lately, how to bring in a, a social component into everything that we're doing. Call it like conscious capitalism, if you will. If we can all, we can all still get rich and make a lot of money, but, Let's get rich and make a lot of money while we're helping the environment and the people around us. That's I love that. 
that phrase dude go trademark that phrase that's genius i think uh, i'm going to start a, a podcast called conscious capitalism actually that's what really i'm so I'd, I'd love no. to be a part of it. Here, here's uh, something I thought about. I'm gonna, this is the I'd first time I'm dropping it. I'd love to be a part of it as well, but he has never invited me onto his other podcasts. So I probably- You haven't been on Sales Engagement yet? Dude, the I Sales Engagement Podcast, I, I'll say this, the Sales Engagement Podcast, it, because it's like such a side thing that I do, it's like, unfortunately, sometimes just like the squeakiest wheel gets on. It's like the, the person just like, yo, I wanna be on the podcast, I wanna be on the podcast, I wanna be on the podcast. And I'm like, God damn, like, okay, I've got 20 minutes, let's do it. And sometimes I forget amazing people. I love, I, the, proactively I, love the, I love the conscious capitalism thing. And I, I will make a commitment to you that I will think about that more and more and more and try to um, participate in that movement with you. It, it, it certainly is not lost on, on me that, you know, if we have some modicum of influence out there on people paying attention to what we have to say, then there is some level of responsibility that we have. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I would love to brainstorm along those lines, you know, and I know I'm going to, I'm going to see you in a couple of weeks. You're, you're going on the road here any day. Probably you start next week, maybe with uh, Becca and, and Josh and uh, yeah, I'll be man. here in Austin. Share everybody. Share real quick because this is gonna this is gonna drop next week. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing, man? Where are you headed? I, I know about it, but share it. <laughs> Dude, that's a good question, man. I just say yes to things and, and show up somewhere. Uh, so I'm getting on a bus. <laughs> I'm getting on a bus with Beck Holland, an amazing, amazing sales development leader, a good friend of mine over at Chorus, and Josh Braun, who's another fantastic kind of sales influencer, thought leader. He's got some amazing ideas and we're going basically on the road to try and just turn the tide in salespeople's favor a little bit like myself Beck and Josh have had some level of success uh, in this world of sales and business development and we're just going to share all of our secrets with everyone because the industry's struggling people aren't hitting quota people are stressed out and you know your career is such a huge part of your life and it can bring you so much stress or it can bring you so much love and freedom and happiness. And honestly, the, why I agreed to do this ridiculous thing where we're hopping on a bus, I'm sleeping on a bus for 16 days. Actually, there's a few hotels in there, but getting on a bus for 16 days with a few strangers, few str friends and going to eight different cities um, is just you know, like we talked about, give back a little bit. There's some SDR out there who's struggling right now, who's stressed out, who just needs a little bit of information and his life's going to get a lot better. And, and Beck and Josh and myself. Where are you guys headed? Let people know what cities you're headed to. Dude, like everywhere. Austin, uh, Austin, Texas. Austin. Yeah, we're going, to, we're going to Austin. So we're going to Boston, New York, Chicago, uh, Austin, Atlanta, Atlanta Denver, uh seattle salt lake city and san francisco and then i'm actually going to london uh again but hold um, on how many days are you doing that in how many days that's eight cities in 16 days i'll be gone for a full on month. the road driving people driving we're driving we're like driving. a reality show he's like going on he's going on tour to do he's a, tour, yeah. he's a touring band <laughs> yeah yeah band. there's uh it's it's crazy and it's a lot of fun and 
life gets fun when you just say yes and, and figure shit out later. That's cool. Thanks all for right. spe- thanks for spending time with us today, Scott. Always good to see you. I'll see you in a couple of weeks, bud. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, man. Good to catch up with you. Safe travels, by the way. Thank you. Thank you.